Find the book of Ruth, if you would, please. Uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. If you get to 1 Samuel, you've gone too far. It's, it's easy to miss. It really is. So Joshua, Judges, then Ruth. And like I say, if you get to 1 Samuel, turn back one book. We want to uh, begin a new series tonight, God's Provision in the Darkest Moments of Our Lives. God's Provision in the Darkest Moments of Our Lives. You don't have anything to fill in on your pages tonight. I just wanted you to have a little study guide that would sort of summarize the, um, uh, much of what we're going to do tonight. Thank you guys for helping pass those out. We're going to look this evening at the topic, The Love Story Begins. Everybody got a copy? If you still need a copy, raise your hand. Everybody got one? Okay. Well, find chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. I trust everybody's got it. As I say, Joshua judges, then you come to Ruth. Everybody find it? In the Purack Bible, I believe it would be page 393. 221, okay. 312. The Purack Bible? 222. Okay. Usually in the ESV, the page numbering is the same. It is in my little ESV, the page number is always the same as the Purack. But I guess it's a little different in my study Bible. Okay. Look at chapter 1. You ready? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the fields of Moab, she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. 
And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Lord, we ask tonight that you would open our understanding to your word. God, we thank you for this wonderful story tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament. A wonderful story of redemption. And Lord, the the wonderful way that it points to our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus. May we be drawn closer to him, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. She came from one of the older established families in town. Old money, social status. Her family went to the first church, and she and her husband had two sons. He decided to relocate the family to greener pastures in a different town where he thought life would be more pleasant. But he died suddenly of a heart attack at just 48 years of age. The business venture into which he had put all of their money went bankrupt. The two boys had to quit high school and go to work. In order to make ends meet, they took a second job at the local factory. 
They also married girls outside of their faith, which was very difficult for their mother to adjust to. One night, while returning home from their second job at 2 a.m. in the morning, the older brother fell asleep at the wheel and ran off the road. Both sons were killed. The woman who previously had it all now had nothing. She felt that God himself had turned against her. Does that sound familiar? Sure it does. It's a modern day rendering of what we've just read in Ruth chapter 1. Folks, the book of Ruth is a story about tragedy, but it's much more than simply a story about tragedy. It's a story about redemption and a story uh, uh, about love. Ruth is a story of love and devotion and redemption set in the context of the dark days of the judges. Do you remember the phrase that was used in the book of Judges that describes what the days were like? Does anybody remember that phrase? Everybody did what he thought was right in his own eyes. That was how they were living in the book of Judges. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like America today, doesn't it? Everybody simply does what is right in their own eyes. Folks, again, that's what's going on in in this book. The book of Ruth is also a story of a Moabite woman who forsakes her pagan heritage in order to cling to the people of Israel and to the God of Israel. Now, Ruth's family has experienced untold tragedy, and yet God pursues after them with a steadfast love, and he will not let them go. Aren't you grateful that God pursues us? It shows how God is gracious and sovereign in watching over his people and and rewarding them, and even rewarding Gentiles who turn to him. Ruth was a Gentile. A Gentile was anybody who was not a Jew. What we will eventually see in the book of Ruth is how God intervened for Ruth in providing a new husband, a kinsman redeemer from Bethlehem by the name of Boaz. And God further rewards her faithfulness with a son and a privileged position in the lineage of David and even of Jesus Christ. Folks, this whole story reminds us that God intervened centuries later for us in providing another kinsman redeemer from Bethlehem, the Lord Jesus. Now, like Ruth, we were without hope and we were without a future. And yet in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be our kinsman redeemer. And the promise of becoming the bride of Christ goes to even Gentiles like Ruth, Gentiles like you and like me. 
Now, the author of Ruth is unknown. Jewish tradition attributes it to, to Samuel, but, but this can't be confirmed. And actually, there's some evidence against it. David appears in Ruth chapter 4, and Samuel died before David's coronation. Now, Ruth divides into four distinct settings. First of all, the country of Moab. Secondly, a field in Bethlehem. Thirdly, a threshing floor in Bethlehem. And then lastly, the city of Bethlehem. Now, the book of Ruth makes three great contributions to the Bible. First of all, literary. Ruth is a book of simplicity and yet profoundness. It's, it's one of literary's best examples of love and piety. Then a historical contribution. Ruth provides a bridge between the judges and the monarchy. The very last word in the book of Ruth is the name David. And then a doctrinal contribution. Ruth teaches us that Gentiles are not outside the scope of redemption. It illustrates faithfulness amidst infidelity. The concept of the kinsman redeemer or goel in the Hebrew meaning close relative. Now this concept is an important portrayal of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now the goel must be related by blood to those that he redeems. Secondly, he must be able to pay the price of redemption. Thirdly, he must be willing to pay the price and redeem. And fourthly, he must be free himself. Now the word goel, used 13 times in this short little book, again presents a very clear picture of the mediating work of Jesus Christ for us. Now first thing I want you to see with me tonight is, is setting the stage. The opening verse of the book of Ruth is like the very first line in a newspaper article that usually addresses questions like who, what, when, where, and how. The reporter questions. First of all, there's the when. Again, we're told it was in the days when the judges ruled. Folks, these were dark days. Very dark days. Again, that phrase that I remind you of, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, people were not living according to revelation, God's revelation. Rather, they were living instead by relativism. If it feels good to me, I'm going to do it. Whatever's right in my eyes, I'm going to do. Never mind what God's Word says. Our feelings and our own thoughts on a situation are what guide us and determine how we live our lives. That's how they were living back, back then, just like we are today. And because of that, what had God done? God had judged them, right? 
And that explains the dark days that we see when we get into the book of Ruth. God had judged them. There was a famine in the land. Now, the wonderful thing is, though, in the backdrop of God's judgment, there's also a plan of salvation. The where, the next question, the reporter's question, the where... Well, we're told again in verse 1 that it's Bethlehem in Judah. Names in the Bible can be so very important. Who knows what the name Bethlehem means? Does anybody know that? In the Hebrew, what does it mean? The house of bread. Exactly. The house of bread. And Judah means praise. And so in the house of bread and praise is where this story begins and also where this story is going to end. Now, we're told, irony of ironies, we're told that in the location that was known as the house of bread, there was a famine in the land. Remember what God had told his people in the book of Deuteronomy? God had told his people in the book of Deuteronomy when when he was promising blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, one of the curses would be a curse on the land. God had told them that if they rebelled against him and disobeyed him and went their own way, one of the signs that God was going to one of the signs that God was judging them would be famine in the land. And that's what we see happening here. They're experiencing famine. Again, folks, we're we're to read between the lines. It's a famine in the land because of their rebellion against God. And God's judged them. God is disciplining his people. And his discipline, of course, in the long run is for our good, right? God disciplines his children for their good. It doesn't always feel good at the moment, does it? But as the book of Hebrews says, he disciplines his own children because he loves us. The writer of Hebrews says, just as an earthly parent disciplines their children because they love them, God disciplines us. Well, God was disciplining his people here by bringing famine in the land. Now, when God would discipline his people and bring something like a famine in the land, what what were the people supposed to do? It was supposed to cause them to take an assessment of their lives and cause them to return to God, to repent of their sins and return to God. That's the purpose of God's discipline. Well, thirdly here, we see the who, verse 2. Verse 2 tells us about some of the the cast of characters. There's Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and, and, and Chilion. Now, the name Elimelech means my God is king. Now, it's kind of bad, though, to have a name, my God is king, and yet you run off down to Moab and don't trust God. 
His wife's name is Naomi. Her name means pleasant. She must have been quite a winsome person, the kind of person that everybody likes to be around. And they have two sons, Malon and Chilion. Malon means unhealthy, and Chilion means puny. We're, we're told also that they were Ephrathites. There is some evidence to support the idea that the Ephrathites of Bethlehem were the socially elite. They were the, they were the economic upper class folks. Now folks, this shows us right here that, that hard times are no respecter of persons, are they? Everybody goes through hard times. Everybody goes through testing and trials. And so here's this regal man, and he has a very pleasant and lovely wife, and, and they're enduring a famine. And in the midst of it all, they have two sickly little boys that they probably had to nurture quite a bit. Probably everybody said of Naomi, I, I just don't see how Naomi can be so pleasant all the time raising two boys that always seem to have something wrong with them. And then we see the what in verse 2. What do we see this family doing? Well, because of the fam uh, famine, they journey over to Moab. Now, there's something, something very interesting about Moab in the Bible. God says in Psalm 108, verse 9, that Moab is my washpot. Moab is my trash can. That's what God thought of Moab. Does anybody remember the, uh, the, the beginning of the Moabites, how they came about? Excuse me? Yeah, the, they were the result of the incestuous, I'm tongue tangled tonight for some reason. The incest between Lot and one of his daughters. And the Moabites came from that. And the incest between Lot and the other daughter, the Ammonites were the result of that. But also the Moabites and the Ammonites, remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they were journeying through the wilderness, the Moabites weren't too nice to the children of Israel, were they? And so God didn't think too kindly of the Moabites or the Ammonites. And again, he calls them his wash pot, his garbage can. And so here is this man and his family who leave the house of bread and praise and they journey over to the trash can. They come up with their own plan. Instead of staying in the promised land and trusting God to take care of them there, they go to where the grass looks greener. Now folks, let's be honest. There's not a one of us that hadn't done that at some point in our lives. Right? We're going through some kind of difficult period of time and we know God's got us there for a reason but something else looks better. And due to impatience or whatever we, 
we run off and we do that alternate plan, right? Because we want some kind of instant gratification. They weren't the first to do this in the Bible. Who else did it? Abraham. God brings Abraham. Remember what God said to Abram in Genesis 12? I want you to leave your country and go to the land that I'm going to show you. And so Abraham obeys. He does that. He comes into the promised land. And we're told again there in the book of Genesis that a famine develops in the land. And so Abraham takes Sarah and he runs off down to Egypt. Instead of trusting God. He runs off to greener pastures too. Folks, why is it that the other side of the fence can can look so appealing sometimes when the going gets rough? And you know what? A plan of our own can end up getting us in a lot of trouble, can it? I see it all the time as a pastor in counseling sessions whether it has to do with relationships or with with business, whatever, people come up with a plan of their own. They ignore God's plan. And then years later, when things have gone belly up, they're sitting in my office wondering what went wrong. You know, God can bring good out of all this, and he does bring good out of this. But it's a testimony... To us, it should be a testimony to us that we could save ourselves a lot of trouble by doing things God's way, right? Because have you ever noticed when you, when you come up with your own plan and do your own thing, it usually ends up coming with consequences, doesn't it? Nowhere in these opening verses in the book of Ruth do you see them asking God what his will is. The New Testament says something about that in the book of James, doesn't it? James chapter 4. James says, come now you you rich, you who say we're going to go to such and such city... We're going to buy and sell and trade, we're going to make a profit, we're going to stay for this long... And then we're going to come back. And James says, you don't even realize your life is just a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Instead, you ought to be saying, if God wills, I'll go here and I'll do this and I'll do that. James says, instead, you do your own thing and it's sin. It's sin. Well, next we see the why. Why would Elimelech do what he did? Why would he move his family? Well, sometimes we do things on our own without God out of, out of rebellion. We see that in the New Testament in the parable of the prodigal son. He, he left his father's house to go to a distant country. But sometimes we make plans like this out of what we think is a necessity. Now, that's what Elimelech does. It seems he must have figured that he really had no choice. He was a pragmatist. Now, folks, it's hard to blame Elimelech, isn't it? 
He's trying to look after his family. He's trying to put food on the table and a roof over their head and clothes on their back. He's trying to responsibly take care of his family. It was still wrong what he did going down to Moab. But at least you can appreciate what what I would assume his motives were. Now complicating this whole dilemma is the fact that from the ridges around Bethlehem you can look eastward and see into the fields of Moab. And so no doubt they've been looking across their own dried up landscape where there's a famine and he's looking eastward and he's seeing green pastures over there. And so it was a temptation. It seemed like the only way he could put food on the table. Well, there's a powerful warning here in Ruth. When you're you're living where God wants you, remember they were in the promised land. When you're living where God wants you and where God has placed you, beware of looking somewhere else for satisfaction. We know in the long run that he should have been content and trusted God. But again, he didn't. Well, let's talk secondly tonight about the outcomes. The outcomes. Look at verse 3. Pick up reading with me in verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha and the name of the other Ruth. They, They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now initially when they when they get over there into Moab, they find comfort and ease. From the end of verse 2, we see that they settle down in Moab. They've left the promised land of God's people. They've settled down in this land that was a reproach to God. And they grow quite accustomed to their new neighbors and their new surroundings. The foreign land of Moab becomes home to them. And they remain there. And so here's a godly family from a godly land. They've gone where they should not go and they've ended up staying there. It kind of reminds me of what Peter says to us in 1 Peter. We are to be living as strangers in a foreign land. This earth is not our ultimate home. We need to beware about getting too comfortable here, right? Well, after the initial comfort, there's death in the far country. The head of the family dies. What a shocker this must have been. Surely had Elimelech been showing any kind of signs of sickness, he would have never moved his family to Moab. Probably he intended to get his family back to Judah, but he never had a chance to do so he died again it's a reminder to us that that life is just a vapor 
Folks, we need to be very cautious if we've taken a detour away from God. Most, most people I know who, who know that they're living in disobedience and they've taken a detour away from God, they intend to get back to God one day. But sometimes what they intend to do never comes to pass. Well, not only is there death, but there's marriage in the far country. Verse 4 says, these took Moabite wives. This was a direct violation of the Mosaic law. They were not to marry outsiders to their faith. But you see, when you get away from your godly roots and and you're no longer where you're supposed to be, pretty soon you become like those around you and the slippery slope just kind of naturally continues, doesn't it? Now, one of the boys marries Orpha, which means deer or fawn. She was a member of the track team at Moab High School. She could run like a deer. The other marries Ruth, whose name means beauty or personality. She was a cheerleader at Moab High School. (laughs) And so these puny little sickly boys have wives now. And we're told that they settle down for ten more years. Man, how the years click by. Ultimately, there's more death in the far country. Verse 5 says both Malon and Chilion also die. And so here is a woman who has lost her husband and her two sons. Imagine that, folks. They have now had three funerals. Three funerals. And she's in a foreign land. Now back then, she would have really been in a fix being a woman. This family has gone from sojourning in verse 1, sojourning in the land of Moab, to remaining there, verse 2 says. And then verse 4 says they're living there, they've been there for 10 years or more. It's not been the trip that they were expecting it to be. It's not been the outcome that they were expecting it to be. So here are three women and their husbands, the breadwinners, are dead. Three widows. And they're in a predicament. Folks, they they didn't have Medicare. They didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have Wall Street investments. They didn't have 401Ks. They didn't have anything. Well, let's talk about some lessons tonight. First of all, and I've, I've given you these, these two here on your, on your study sheet tonight. There will always be alluring temptations in the world and what seem to be easier ways to make it But such pathways often lead to great disappointment. 
If you fail to trust God with the circumstances of your life, chances are you will only end up adding more suffering to the suffering that you already have. One of the things I've noticed from from both the testimony of God's Word and, and from those today who come to me seeking counsel is that God's children often end up taking an absolute beating in the far country. The far country looks good initially. It looks good. By the far country, I just mean plans of your own. It, It looks good. It seems to give you all the right answers. But ultimately, it ends up beating up on you. We also don't find lasting satisfaction in the far country. We don't find what we're looking for when we strike out without God. A second lesson, when we're away from God's plan for our lives, it's important to take action. Look at verse 6 and 7. How many people do you know that have just given up? They decided it's too late for them. They're just going to stay where they are and keep doing what they've been doing. But not Naomi. Look at verse 6. Naomi must have woke up and thought, what in the world am I doing down here in, in, in Moab? Have you ever woke up and thought something like that? What in the world am I doing at this time and place in my life? Have you ever thought about that? Have you you ever done your own plan and you wake up one day and you, you think, what in the world am I doing? How'd I get here? It's kind of like the, the prodigal son in the, in, the, in the parable of the prodigal son. A key point in, in that parable, the, the, the passage says, he came to himself. What am I doing here? The servants back in my dad's house are better off than I am. And look at what I'm doing here. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Naomi hears that God has revisited his people again back in Bethlehem and and she wants to get out of Moab. Moab had not been kind to her and her family. And so she does the right thing. She takes action. The Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Sometimes in the world, people are just sorry for what they've done, but they keep on doing it, right? That's not godly sorrow. The Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. It it might be time for somebody tonight to, to take serious stock of your life and where you are. And how you've gotten to where you are right now in your life. But you need to also think tonight, what am I going to do about it? What change am I going to make? What am I going to do to get right with God? What am I going to do to get back in my life where God wants me? Back to that place where God wants me. 
You need to recognize where you are, but you need to recognize also what change you need to make. What, what repentance is going to mean for you right now in your life to get back to where you ought to be. Don't just stay where you are feeling sorry about where you are. Do something about it. If it's some relationship in your life gone sour, you need to go to that person. You need to get it right. If there's some sin in your life that's got you in bondage, you need to deal with that. It's time. Romans 13 says, And this do, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. It may be later than you think in your life. It's never too soon to get right with God and get back on track with His plan for your life. Ephesians 5 says you need to redeem the time because the days are evil. You need to make the most of your opportunities. Admit to God what you've done. Admit to Him that you need His help. Admit to Him that you need His intervention, that you need His strength. Ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for help. If you need to, turn to some Christian friends around you. Say, would you help me? Naomi is deciding to do something about her situation and to get back where she needs to be. Another lesson, be a positive influence for others to find God's plan. Verses 8 to 13. Now, unfortunately, we do not see Naomi living according to that principle here. We don't see Naomi giving the best advice to her daughters-in-laws. Because what's she telling them to do? Go back to their families and their gods. Remember the Moabites were a pagan people. You need to go back to your, your people, your families, your gods. Again, she's, she's well-intentioned with them, but very unwise advice. Now, she must have had a good relationship with them because they, they want to go with her initially. But, but now she's sending them back. She wants God's blessings for them. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. And, and the word that she uses is one of the richest words in, in the Hebrew Old Testament. It's the word hesed. May God show his hesed to you, his, his steadfast covenant loyalty, his steadfast love and mercy. She wants her daughters-in-law to experience that. But if her daughter-in-laws follow her advice, they're not going to experience that. The Moabites served pagan gods and they offered their children as sacrifices to their pagan gods. And so if these daughters-in-laws obey Naomi, they're going to be lost forever. 
logical advice that she's given them? Yes. Good advice? No. Now, as she's talking to these these daughters-in-law, they have quite an emotional meeting together. One writer calls it the handkerchief brigade. They're bawling and crying and they're wiping tears, saying their goodbyes. Men, maybe, maybe your wives have come home from a church meeting before and you said, was the church meeting good? Oh, it was good. We sat around and we just cried. <laughs> they thought it was a great meeting because they just sat around and cried. These ladies were just crying. A handkerchief brigade. And finally they say, no, we're not going to leave you. She appeals to them with even stronger human logic. She's really not thinking clearly at the moment. Evidently at the moment she's forgotten the kinsman-redeemer arrangement because under the Hebrew marriage laws, a relative had to marry the widow to raise up children. Naomi knows this because in chapter 2 she begins talking to Ruth about this. But for the moment, evidently she's forgotten. So again, she's given advice. Here again, her advice is not according to God's plan. Another lesson. Know that regardless of how you may feel at the moment, God is for us. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters... For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She and Elimelech have made bad choices. They've suffered the consequences. But she says, God's hand's strong against me. That's easy to do, isn't it? make bad choices in our life, sinful choices, things don't turn out right. And we say, God, why are you doing me like this? I think of Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve said, God, it's this serpent. Adam said, God, it's this this woman, this wife you gave me. The blame game. No, it was Adam and Eve's sinful choice. It's Naomi and Elimelech's sinful choice of not trusting God. But now she's saying, God's hand's strong against me. They're the ones who struck out on their own without consulting God. Folks, we have no right to live our lives without God and then blame God for the circumstances that we face. Even if God did bring all this suffering on on Naomi, which he did to discipline her, the Bible says that God allows things like this for our good. What's Paul say in Romans 8? God is for us. We need to remember that in the bad times of life, in the trials of life. If you're a child of God, 
through faith in his son Jesus, whatever you're going through in life, God can bring ultimate good out of it, right? If you're his child, his promise is he's going to continue working in you until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. God's for you. So even if he's disciplining you, even if he has you in a valley for a reason, even if you're in that tough spot in life, if God has you there, God means to bring some kind of good out of it for you. Now according to Romans 8.28, that's not a promise children of the world can claim, but it is a promise that children of God can claim. Even in the downturns of life, God is weaving, working out his purposes. Corey Tenboom, you know that name, right? She's in her, in her home there in Holland. They, they, they had a, a woven, a, a yarn type portrait. And she hung it on the wall backwards, so out the back side all you saw were these different colored threads hanging down. Made no sense at all, just chaotic looking. Somebody asked her about that. She turned it around, and it was this beautiful, beautiful scene. And they said, why do you have it backwards on the wall? She said, it's to remind me. That sometimes my life, the circumstances, that it just looks like a bunch of chaotic threads. But that's looking at things the way, from my perspective, the way I see them. But when I turn the picture around, see this beautiful scene, it reminds me that God is weaving something beautiful out of the circumstances of my life. Another lesson, commitment is seen in our actions, verses 14 to 18. Commitment is seen in our actions. Naomi gets through to Orpha. I want you to notice here that she turns back. Orpha decides to listen to Naomi. She turns back and she walks off of the pages of Scripture forever. We never hear of her again. How sad. So close and yet so far. She's the picture of somebody who gets right up to the edge of becoming a Christian and doesn't. You remember Paul talking to a ruler in the book of Acts? Almost thou persuadest me. To be a Christian. But notice what Ruth does. Ruth clings to Naomi using some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. Essentially, she's saying, if you go north, I'm going to go north. You go south, I'm going to go south. You turn east or west, I'm going to be right there with you. If you dwell in a cave, I'm going to be in that cave with you. A palace or a tent, I'm going to be there. I'm embracing you and your people and your God. You're not getting rid of me.
Man said to his wife one time, Honey, you can leave me if you want to, but I'm going with you in your suitcase. (laughs) That's what Ruth is saying. She's seen something, no doubt, about the covenant people of God. There's been enough, even though Elimelech and, and Naomi struck out their own plan without God, yet there must have been enough of their family that was still about faith that she saw something that she wanted to be a part of. And so she's determined to go. Here is Ruth, a Gentile, and yet God is going to accept her and use her mightily in his plan of redemption. Another lesson. Do not let bitterness overtake you. Verses 19 to 21. Can you imagine how it must have been for her going back to Bethlehem? Remember when they first left Bethlehem years ago? They were among the elite of the town. They've been in Moab for at least 10 years now. A lot's changed over these 10 years. You go back home after 10 years, some of the streets have changed. Some of the neighborhoods have changed. Things just don't look quite the same. And those who remembered Naomi said, Look, here comes Pleasant. Here comes Mrs. Sunshine. They remembered her that way. And she says, Huh, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. Have you ever noticed how some people can be that way? Some some people go through life and they age very gracefully, but others don't. They get very bitter and down in life. You know what I'm talking about? You've met people that way, right? You know what I think makes the difference? Do we really believe that God is for us and that he is guiding us even when we don't see it? Joseph said to his brothers, you meant evil, but what you meant for evil, God meant for good. If we can keep that perspective in life, I don't think we're going to grow bitter. If we lose that perspective in life, you may grow bitter. Because you see, there is one constant of life on this fallen planet. You're going to go through trials. That's a given. All you got to do to go through trials is just simply live long enough. You're going to go through trials. You can't help that. But how are you going to end up? Are you going to end up pleasant, more pleasant, or are you going to end up bitter and more bitter? Folks, instead of being bitter, be thankful for what God's taught you and how he's blessed you. Well, I want to wrap up tonight. I told you last week that tonight's lesson was going to be the long lesson in this series. And I've been true to my word, right? It's been the long 
The other ones won't be so long. I just wanted to cover a lot of background stuff tonight. But tonight, I wonder if you need to admit that you've made some poor choices. And instead of trusting God's plan, you ventured out on your own plan. And you may be at that place where they were when they initially got down to Moab and things, things looked good. You might have done your own plan and said, Preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. I've done my own plan. You know what? My life's pretty good. Just wait. <laughs> okay? Just wait. Things will change. Just wait. Maybe you've seen that. It, it's already changing. You've, you've gone your own way and things are already kind of soured. And you're you're kind of like, what am I doing? Perhaps you're in your own Moab. You know you're where you're not supposed to be and doing what you're not supposed to be doing. Recognize it, admit it, do something about it. Do something about it. Get back to where you remember God working in your life. It's kind of like Christ told the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, right? Get back to that place where you loved me. Get back. Recognize you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong company. You're doing the wrong things. And get back. Get back to where God can work in your life again. Get back to where God wants you. And if you are in a tough spot, instead of looking for ways to come up with plans of your own and quickly bail out, if God has you in a tough time, He may have you there for a reason. Trust Him. Say, God, I, I don't know why I'm in this famine. I don't know why I'm here, but you got me here. So teach me. Show me. Instead of immediately trying to bail out and come up with your own better plan, ask him what he might be trying to tell you through the difficult spot that you're in. Well, let's wrap up there tonight. Any comments, questions? Hours late, isn't it? Ruth does. I mean, yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, so, you know, that goes to show there's some judgment involved in there. What about our two teeny sons? Yeah. They couldn't even, they weren't even heard. Yeah. It's all part of this ongoing process of judgment. 
Yeah. And it, it just doesn't jump right out at you, but then after a while you go, oh, okay, those people, uh, generally when they get married and so forth, boom, 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 they start uh, having children. Yeah. That's their social security, their retirement and everything else. That's a good point. These two puny boys haven't had any kids. Yeah. Part of God's judgment. Daniel. Maybe, maybe. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Orpha. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you think of the, the blessing that she missed because she turned back. Yeah. Got there. Her name means obstinate. Or we say bitter. But I got a good Well, like I say, folks, next week won't be this long, okay? I, I wanted extra time tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us so powerfully. Lord, I think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, that the things that happened to your people in the Old Testament continue to serve as lessons for us today. Lord, help us to learn from your people of faith in the Old Testament. Help us to see the, 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 the sin that they did and the mistakes they made and not to go that path. Lord, help us to see that when they were walking in obedience, they were experiencing your presence and your blessing. And help us to choose the better way. Lord, work in our lives. We thank you that you are for us. You've proven that. You've sent us our kinsman redeemer in the fullness of time. Now, Lord, continue to teach us through this series. And, Lord, the prayer list tonight, we see that there are many, many names on it. People sick and suffering and in grief. You know each need. God, intervene in their lives. And if there are those on our prayer list who need to come back to you, God, may your Holy Spirit convict them and draw them back. Work your work in each of us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.